0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We are in a series on Colossians. It's called Rooted because uh, we are talking about the value being rooted. A tree can look good on the outside, but when the storms come, it can be torn down and uprooted. And that is because the roots themselves are shallow, weak, or soft, and so when the storm comes, there's nothing to keep it grounded, and Colossians is all about that. This is what Paul says in Colossians 2, he says, so then, just as you received Christ as Lord, Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And so that's kind of the theme of the entire uh, little letter of Colossians. There's a church in Colossae. Uh, here's basically the background. Paul is an apostle. And uh, this is what it says in Colossians 1. You kind of take a look at the background check here is that Paul, he says, I am an apostle of Christ. He's not an apostle of himself. He didn't just kind of get inspired and want to do something. Apostle means sent one or the voice of he is the sent one, the voice of a messenger of Christ, not by his will, he says, but by the will of God. This is important because Paul, when he writes in his letters, is speaking in the authority of Jesus Christ, not his opinion. He says, and Timothy, our brother, which is a pastor uh, who is in prison with him. Uh, he is in house arrest in a prison in Rome and clear on the other side of Europe in a, what is modern day Turkey. Back then it was Asia Asian minor. Uh, it says this to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful followers, uh, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our father. So this tiny little bitty letter to the church in Colossae is broken up into two half. The first half is all about the root system. And it's about what we believe. And then the second half is about the fruit system. It's about how we live out what we believe. So we're still on part one. And last week after he says, thank you, I love you, I'm praying for you, he gives one of the greatest clearest, loudest declarations of who Christ is in the entire New Testament, Colossians 1. If you didn't hear last week's, you can go online, you can read the notes, and you can listen to the sermon online. He lays out one of the greatest explanations of who Christ is, God in the flesh. Jesus is God Almighty, the creator, with us, who died for us. So today, Paul says, in that message, I am a minister. Now, when we think of ministry, what do you guys normally think of? I mean, some people, when they think of ministry, they think of, well, church volunteering. Uh, They think of maybe a pastor. They think of the Roths. They think of the pastor there in the Congo. You might think of an evangelist. You might think of a missionary. Uh, But the biblical definition is is different. It's much larger than that. The Greek word for ministry or the word where we get ministry from is actually a word that just means ministry servant. So when you see the word ministry, he's talking to followers of Christ who know they are called to serve the world. So what I want us to do is I want us to have a different perspective of ministry because as we read this section on ministry, it's not about Paul only. It's about you. And I want you to write this down. A different perspective on ministry is that you need to realize you If you are a Christian, you are a minister. It's just that simple. If you are a Christian, you are a minister. You are a missionary. We talk about this a lot at our church, and this is a great time to to dive into because Colossians covers it. Now, there are biblical roles of ministry leadership that God calls some to. Ephesians says that he gives as gifts. He raises up and gives people uh, churches gifts. He gives them pastors and he gives them apostles and prophets and evangelists. He gives them teachers. He gives them leaders. And, And in the Bible, there are examples of those that are in vocational ministry. But that is not in any way saying that these ministers like myself are more important or valuable than you as a minister where you are. The Bible is very clear. It is implicit that if you are a Christian, you are a minister. That each and every one of us is given a skill or a gift for the kingdom of God and for the world. So with that in mind, I want us to read Paul's behind-the-curtain experience of his ministry and read it through the lens of our life. Because every job... Every classroom, every location that God has placed you in is your ministry. And I believe God has called us to make not just a difference, but an eternal difference. So today, Paul tells us how to make an eternal difference difference in our ministry now if you're not a christian here then uh i want you to know that we love you we care for you this is a passage that is directed towards christians and though you may not be a christian i want you to hear the heart of of the apostle paul for you and the heart that followers of christ have and should have for you, So let's dive into it in Colossians. We're going to pick it up in verse 23 where we left off last week. So he says this, this is the gospel. That's what he just shared. That was last week's message. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the life changing good news of Jesus. He says, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, become a servant. Some translations actually use the word. I become a minister that's because minister and servant are the same word okay he says now i rejoice in what i am suffering for you and i fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to christ's affliction now some people are like i don't understand how is christ in his affliction not enough how is our affliction making up for christ's lack in affliction is christ enough yes On the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. He is enough. He rescued us. He redeemed us. But even though our sin is paid for, we live in a fallen world. Salvation has come, but it's not fully delivered. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's violence in the world. There's death in the world. There's sickness in the world. There's trials. There's persecution in the world. Christ is enough, but it hasn't been fully delivered until the return of Christ or until we uh, meet him in heaven. So we still experience pain and suffering and trials until that day. Like in the Congo, you heard some of the experiences there. There's tremendous amount of violence and persecution. You have some trials here, but nothing compared to what they go through. But I want you to know that this is a momentary and a temporary trial. Christ is enough, but we're still going to go through trials until we see him. And he says, I am suffering for you for the sake of his body, which is the church. He says, man, everything I'm going through is for you. He says, and I become its servant. Whose servant? Suffering's servant. In Acts 14, Paul, when he's leaving a group of people, he's strengthening and encouraging some disciples and encouraging them to stay true to the faith. And he says this, he says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. If this is the kingdom of heaven and you have passageway through Christ on your way to the kingdom of heaven, you will experience hardship. And he says, I have embraced the suffering and the hardship that I will endure because it comes along with the journey to know Christ. And I have not only embraced it, but I have become its servant. He says, man, I've surrendered to the suffering. Verse 25, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Some people wonder, what is that mystery that has suddenly been revealed through Paul? Very simple. He explains the mystery is this, that Jesus came for everybody, not just the Jewish people, But even for those Gentiles, you know who a Gentile is? You and me. Anybody who's not Jewish is a Gentile. And Paul says the great mystery is Jesus is for everybody. He came for us all. And it's been revealed now. He goes on to say, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, to this end, I will strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have uh, not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in a heart and united in love so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom. Of knowledge. What I want us to do is I want us to take that little passage right there. I want us to break it down and I want Paul to tell us how we can have impactful, life changing, difference making ministry. So with what he's talking about, let's use his behind the scene picture, his perspective to teach us how we can make a difference in the world. All right. The first thing is this if you want to make an eternal difference, you need to number one, have the right perspective need to have the right perspective. Here is the perspective of Paul. It's very simple. Here is the biblical perspective. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It's not about us. Paul got this one right. You know, we, we will always struggle to make eternal impact if we're always keeping score on what is owed to us for the time that we've spent. We will always struggle if we're always trying to seek recognition. If we base what we're doing on how we're feeling, we will struggle for eternal impact because we find the right perspective is it's not about us. Ministry is not about you. I want you to notice verse 24 and 25. He says, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. In verse 25, he says, I have become It's suffering's servant. Realize this, suffering and servanthood are part of the deal. If you want to make a difference in the world, you have to embrace suffering. You have to embrace being a servant. Paul reminds us that they are both ingredients of life impacting living. He says that being uh, that being a servant of God and caring for others means that some people are not always like you, that some people will try to hurt you, and that more, most likely some people will try to destroy you. Because if you want to make a if you want to get out of your safety zone and make a difference, you better be ready to embrace being treated like a servant and being a person who is treated unfairly with suffering. Jesus said this in Matthew 20. He says, if you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be great, be the last. If you want to be great in my eyes, be the person at the end of the line, be the person who takes the blow for me. Let's face it. Most of us don't mind being a servant. As long as we're not treated like one. Sign me up to volunteer. Just make sure that you give me some recognition. Let me go. I want to tell the world, but I want to be a star when I do it. In Matthew 5, 11, Jesus says that suffering will follow those who serve God, but our reward is in heaven, just like those before us. And Paul in 1 Corinthians says, though I am free and belong to no one, he says, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible because he got it. It's not about himself. Some of you say, well, you know, I'm just not getting anything out of it. You know, I've just, I put more into it than what I'm getting out. I'm, I'm just not getting recognized. I'm not being appreciated. Now there's nothing wrong with recognition and appreciation. And if you're working for a good leader, he will do that. However, that is not our goal. Serving does not uh, generally get anything back. Serving is not about getting back what you put in. In fact, serving is just the opposite. It's about giving and not expecting or knowing you probably won't get anything back. In fact, God goes so far as to say, Paul and Jesus go far as to say that if you serve, your reward is after you're dead. It's in heaven. So that's a real challenge because most of us want the reward now. Colossians 2 1 He says, I want you to know that I how hard I am contending for you. He says, Man, I'm working hard for you and for those that lay out of sea, which is the church down the street, and for all Who've not met me personally, he says, everything I do is for your benefit, not mine. Paul had the right perspective. It's bigger than us. Here's the second thing. If you want to make a difference, you need to have the right message. You have to have the right message. Colossians one twenty five, he goes on to say, The commission of God, the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. He says, man, I'm not putting my life on the line to give you a pat on the back. I'm not putting my life on the line to give you a feel-good self-help message that will just, you know, make you feel better as a person. I am not putting my life on the line so that you can have goosebumps. He says, I'm putting my life on the line so that you might know the Word of God in its fullness. Paul knew the message, and he stayed on point, and he did not. Hold back. The message is clear. God is holy. We are sinners. God sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh to die for our sins. And in Jesus, we can be in relationship with God and redeemed into a new life. The message was boldly proclaimed. He always stayed on message. You know, it's easy to get off message. Because a lot of times we we, 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 we try to do other things Instead of the message, some of those examples is trying to clean people up before we, before they know Jesus, trying to get people to to change their lifestyle or to to stop doing drugs or to try to get them to to change their morality before they meet Jesus. Christ will redeem them into a new life, and the Holy Spirit will work some of those things out of them. Our job is not to fix them. Our job is to keep. Jesus at the center, or also some, they they like to try to clean up the culture before Jesus. See, you know, they want to, they want to protest, you know, things in the news and they want to, they want to make a stand, but you know, the message has got to be Jesus trying to clean up the world's problems without Jesus. See, the message has got to be center. Paul's culture was far worse than ours, guys. Paul lived in a culture that was so pagan that as part of their worship, the regular church services for the pagan culture were orgies. It was a sexual nature. I mean, all of the temples were dedicated to sexual experiences. It was not uncommon, even Colossae, for people to go to their temples of worship and have these, the temples would be filled with temple prostitutes, it would be. Uh, that was how they gave to the temples through experiencing prostitution. And, and, and it, was, it was bi, it was gay, it was heterosexual. It was anything goes in the culture of Paul. They had genocide. I mean, if, if they didn't like their child's hair color, it was common to kill them. If they didn't like that they were left-handed, they killed them. If they were sick, they killed them. If they were old, they killed them. In fact, Christianity started, they, they grew as 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 a, as a group of about a couple thousand to a, a couple million in one generation simply because they reached out to the sick and the hurting and the hopeless of a Roman culture that was hardcore on cleaning out the sick. But Paul stayed on message. Jesus. He never encouraged them to hit the streets with their, with their signs. He never said, you know, hit the phone bank. He said, Jesus, the message is Jesus. We have a message. We are sent with a message, words of life. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing. The word of God is our church's message. And it is the fullness of that message that we must proclaim the right message. Here's a third thing that he had. He had the right methods. He goes on to say in verse 20, he says, he is the one we proclaim the message. He says, he's the one, that's the message. And then he says, He gives us two crucial methods, structures. He says, and we do this by admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. I've got this coin here. It's a uh, silver dollar. Keep it in my office. It's kind of a, it's a real silver dollar. And uh, it's big. But see, there's two sides of the coin here. There's two sides of the coin. He says to... To, to make a difference, we need to have both sides of the coin. He says there's the admonishing and there's the teaching. Admonishing is a warning. Teaching is a walking. On the admonishing side, we challenge people to the dangers of life in their spiritual journey. We, uh, when we talk to Christians, we, we admonish them, we warn them, we challenge them, we confront them. But we also must Teach them, that's walking with them, that's instructing them, that's more encouraging. Teaching is encouraging, while admonishing is a warning. And he says what some people like to do is they like to pick one or the other. Some people, they like to keep just the happy stuff, just the encouraging stuff. Just the, you're awesome, you're okay, you know, just get out there, do your best. We want to We want to walk with them, we want to teach them, and, uh, you know, but there's also a, a flip side, but when we neglect the admonishing side, when we just say, let's see, I'm going to do, I'm going to teach you, and that's all I want to do. I just want to keep a good, keep it happy, keep it encouraging. What results are Christians who are shallow, Christians who are loving, but very shallow, But then there's the flip side. Some say, well, you know what? I'm all about the, uh, 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 I'm all about the bullhorns and, and 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 the crates and the turn or burn. And there's this sense of warning. And all that produces is unloving and judgmental people. He says, you need both. You need the admonishing part and you need the teaching part. You see, Jesus did both perfectly. In fact, Jesus did a lot of warning. And most of the time, the people he was warning were the judgmental, were the hypocrites. They were the religious leaders. Paul is challenging us the right method, uh, methods. There are times when we need to do this. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant, that's you of God, the minister of God, that's every follower of Jesus, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, man, we're called to teach to rebuke, to correct, and to train. And that equals rooted, okay? So here's the, the next thing. He says, uh, not only do you have the right message and the right methods, but you need to have the right goal, the right goal. He says this in Colossians. He says, this is why I do it. This is the this is why I am out there embracing struf, uh, struggling and strife and suffering. He says, verse 28, he says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom for this reason, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Some translations say perfect, which basically just means mature or complete. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend. Man, this is a life verse. The life verse for a lot of ministers says, it's that I live to proclaim, train and walk with you so that one day I might present you. As mature. We are to have the guts to say hard things, the wisdom to say it helpfully, and the tenacity not to quit until they learn to live it. This is powerful. Our goal, if you want to make a difference, our goal is maturity to produce mature followers of Christ. And it requires walking alongside people. The blow-in, blow-up, and blow-out mentality. Is not what God had in mind, two things that confuse the goal, and these are in your notes two things that we that we often think are the goal but are not and the first thing is actually a good thing, but it 's not the goal. The first thing is this is that when we try to fix people 's problems, the goal is not to fix problems, focusing on fixing people 's morality or fixing their living conditions. both are important. Parts of maturity and, and just loving people. We should be reaching out and rescuing. And we, we, are, we are God's avengers. We are, we are to be the ones standing up for uh, justice in the world. But when they become the goal, we miss our eternal significance. Fixing people's problems is not our goal. He says the goal is presenting mature followers of Christ. Mark 8, 36, Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Jesus is saying, you know what? They might have everything just right and they may be living in better conditions or they may be even wealthy and and having everything they've ever imagined. But if they're not right with God, it doesn't matter. The goal is to have mature followers the second thing that often confuses the goal is this is that when we confuse decisions for a disciple a lot of people think man it's just you know raise your hand say that prayer sign that card walk the aisle boom I did so and so numbers of salvations at the at the at the event at the uh, at the crusade at, at church and and somehow we had confused decisions for disciples jesus never said go and make converts in fact he said go and make disciples and a disciple is someone who's a disciplined follower that's what it means he says go and make people who follow me he says go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit that means a declaration of uh, a, a declaration of of, of forgiveness and grace and understanding that Christ died for us, and then He says, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. He says, there's a pro- our goal is not conversions, our goal is not decisions, our goal is mature followers of Christ. And I think a lot of people they they somehow think the goal is decisions. Now the goal is maturity, but in order to get someone into a mature walk with Christ, we need to introduce them to Christ. A decision is important. But our goal is not decisions. Our goal is to present them one day to Christ. As See, there are a lot of people that say yes to Christ, but they don't mean it. In fact, Jesus gave a parable uh, of the four seeds, four types of hearts. He says there's four types of hearts. He says there's the type of heart when you throw it on the ground, their heart is so hard that the birds come. It's like a path. He says like four types of soil. There's the hard path that's walked on a lot. He says it's so hard when you throw the seed down, the birds come and eat it away. He says that's like the devil. He just comes and takes the seed away because your heart is so hard. He says the second type of heart is the kind that is, uh, is it's got some, got some depth into it, but it's filled with weeds. He says it's thorny ground, and whatever grows is choked by the thorns. He says that's like the person who makes a decision for Christ, but the cares of this world choke them, and they die and wither. He says there's a third kind. He says the third kind is that you grow, but it's only for a while because there's all these stones in your soil. And so the seeds never go deep. And as a result of your shallow growth, you die. And you know, we do that too. There are people that make a decision, walk an aisle, sign a card, but they're so shallow in their faith that it was a decision based on a belief system, not a transformation of the soul. It wasn't a, it wasn't a regeneration. It was just a decision. And Christ says, but there's a fourth kind of soil. And that is the soil that is soft and you'll see the fruit in a while. See, sometimes we don't know the real believers for a season or two. Because I know a lot of people who make a declaration of faith and then they disappear after six months or five months or a year. It's because they bought into a belief system, but they weren't truly regenerated by Christ. They were walking in a religion and not in a truly life-changing transformational journey. I'll tell you what, Jesus says that is where you need to, focus your energy on is, is the mature, possibly even slow seasonal growth of others. They're going to help tear down kids church. I, I'm just letting you know, and they sit in the middle. So everybody knows, (laughs) just (laughs) kidding. Sometimes we need to realize our goal is not to present converts, but to present followers. He says this in chapter two, verse one, I want to end with these couple thoughts. He says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those that lay the church down the road. He says, and for all who have not met me personally, he says, man, I'm striving to see you mature. And then he says, this is what maturity looks like. He says, the goal is this. He says that you may be encouraged in love. That means that you don't walk away from your faith. That you're encouraged and stay strong and that you're, united in love, encouraged in heart, and united in love. That means your love for Christ is reflected in your love for others so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding. That means that your life is not just built on knowledge, but truth that transforms. See, there's a lot of people in church that know the trivia answers to the Bible quiz questions, but it hasn't transformed their life. He says, I'm asking not for just knowledge, but complete life transformational truth transforming Understanding in order that you may know the mystery of god namely christ He says that equals maturity In whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says maturity looks like this three things looks like endurance Looks like love and it looks like understanding You want to know what a mature person does they don't give up easy Their heart stays strong in the face of trials. You want to know what a mature person does? He says, it's someone who loves others because Christ has loved them and their love is strong and their love is an action. It's not a word. It's an action. Love frees us to serve unselfishly and frees us to give generously. We love. And he says, the third thing you want to know, what a mature person looks like? They have not knowledge, but they have understanding. They're rich in transformational understanding. People who are mature have endurance, love, and grasp Christ. That is our goal. He says that is, that is your goal. If you are a follower of Christ and God has called you to be a minister, which every Christian is, then that is your goal, to encourage and to build mature followers of Christ. Here's the last thing, and this is the good news. He says if you want to do this, you need to have the right power source. Colossians 1, 20 to 9, he says, to this end, to see you mature, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He says, it's all by God's power. So here's what we get to do. We get to serve, we get to labor, we get to sweat, we get to struggle, and then we get to go home and take a nap. Because what happens is not up to us. You see, we get the freedom to work really hard and then take a nap because the power is the Lord's to do the rest. And I love this. In Philippians 2, he says, For it is God who works in us and through us. He says, if there's anything good that you're doing, if you're able to do anything, it's the Lord anyways. And Jesus said, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That means you can't convince or or force or win an argument or reason someone into the kingdom. You can only proclaim the fullness of the gospel of Christ, walk with them, admonish them, teach them with all wisdom and care, be a loving, never quit, never give up, never give in, and let the Lord do the rest. Let the Lord do the rest. I'm want to end with this one verse in Proverbs that says this. Proverbs 21:30 says, "There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. So first of all, you might have your plans, your agenda, your your goals, but if it's not the Lord's, well, tough luck. He says, 31, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. So stop stressing about that person. Stop stressing about your children. Stop stressing about the people that you love. Be the minister God's called you to be with the right message and the right methods, an encouraging, loving person who doesn't give up, who's personally growing in truth. And the rest is the Lord's. And watch what he can do. That's the challenge from Paul today, to be a minister that makes a difference. So let's not flip the coin on what kind of person we're gonna be. Let's let's be the person that, Christ has called us to be and that Paul has explained for us next week. I'm very excited about our next section on Colossians as we dive into hearing God's voice and knowing God's voice. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. God, that you've called us to ministry. God, if you uh, if you've called us to be a follower, if there's Christians in this room, God, I pray that they would embrace that they are a minister of Jesus Christ God, every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is a minister. And God, I pray that we would not only embrace that, but we would walk in that. God, help us to hear the words of Paul, to follow his challenge, to be a person who fully explains and shares and walks and patiently and with wisdom embraces the gospel. And God, I pray that you would let us to know that serving and suffering come with the deal. In fact, right where you're sitting right now, if you're a Christian, I want you just to acknowledge that suffering and servanthood is part of the deal. Father, thank you, Lord, that you've called me to suffer. God, I'm not thankful for the suffering, but God, I rejoice in the suffering because it is small compared to the suffering that you endured for me. And God, I, I embrace heart of servanthood. God, help us to walk that out, Lord. Giving without expectations. Giving with no strings attached. What I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.